Welcome to Off the Beaten Path, but not lost. With Tony, Kristen, Kylie, and Lexi. Join us on this RV full-time living journey across the beautiful United States. Where the fellas? Welcome to episode 76, the big podcast on Big Bend National Park. (laughs) What was that? That's my drum. (laughs) Thanks, Kylie. (laughs) (laughs) This one was was huge for me, no pun intended, because (laughs) I've been wanting to go to Big Bend since we got on the road. Yes. Big Bend was like my yellow, it was like your Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah. You've been talking about it, I think, yep. from before we we even were on the road. And I didn't even know how cool it actually was. And it is big. Holy moly, it is big. It's like the biggest national park. I'm Which, sure. No, it's not. <laughs> Which fits Texas, I think, you know, because yeah. everything's big in Texas. The park has, what, five visitor centers. It's, I mean, it's almost as big. Is it as big as Yellowstone? No. No, it's not as big as Yellowstone, but it kind of feels like that. It's set up similar to Yellowstone, where it has, like, a north-south, like, the, there's two visitor centers down at the bottom, there's some visitor centers at the top. Yeah, multiple of. entrances. Yeah. It's located in southwestern... Yeah, basically, if you shoot all, all the way over to the southwest edge of Texas, where you have the little bloop at the bottom, that whole bloop is Big Bend National Park, basically. It's over 800,000 acres big and when i converted that on google it's 1250 square miles yeah huge and we drove around that thing several times the key features of the park is it has mountains desert and river all in one so it's the rio grande is it rio grande rio grande rio grande rio grande you take your pick Okay, Rio Grande. So the Rio Grande River is the river part of the um, park, and it's the southern border. Is it the entire southern border? It's the whole southern border of the park, yeah. Yeah, the entire southern border of the park is the Rio Grande River, and that's also the border to Mexico. Yep. Yeah, we stood there on the banks looking at Mexico, just Mm -hmm. a few feet away. Yep. The mountains are the Chizos Mountains, and fun fact, they're the only mountain range that are completely contained in a national park. The rest of the park is mainly the Chihuahuan Desert, and that's most of the area in the park. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the mountains kind of go through what, I would say, the middle. Basically, Like, yeah. in a line, kind of. And they get up to 8,000 feet. Just a quick history about the park. Evidence of humans go back 10,000 years. And throughout the park... There is numerous archaeological sites. Yeah, there's rock shelters. And there's multiple different rock shelters. And there's pictographs. Did you guys see the pictographs? Yes. But- yeah. Yeah, the whole area was occupied by various tribes, like the Chizos tribes, Humano, Mescalero, Apache, and Comanche. And you can see in some other areas of the park and some of the hikes and stuff, you can see where they, like, made the little bowls in the stone. I don't know what mm-hmm. that's called, but they, like, carved it out. To cook in it and stuff like that. Yep. So cool. In the 16th century, the Spaniards started coming in, and I think they're the ones that originally named the park because of the river. 
big bend in the river. Yeah, because of the big, big sharp turn in the river. Yep. A lot of uh, Spanish missions started popping up, trade routes all throughout the area. Settlers began arriving in the 19th century, and that's when ranching and mining became the primary industries in the area. Yep, and plenty of... Of course. Of course, plenty (laughs) of conflicts with the settlers and Native Americans kind of led to the decreased Native American presence in the area. And the park was established in the 20th century, 1944, June 12th. Over time, the park has expanded to protect more land and preserve more of this diverse ecosystem, which we're going to talk about next. (laughs) So in Big Bend, there's three primary ecosystems. There's the Chihuahuan Desert, which is the largest desert in North America, and that takes up most of the park. There's the Chizos Mountains, and there's the river, the Rio Grande. There's all throughout the whole Rio Grande, there's pretty lush vegetation. Very green. A lot of animals. And then under the river as well, or under like water as well, there are multiple springs yep. throughout the park. I know there's the one on our Jeep trail that we Glen kind of Spring, ran. Yep. yep, that we ran into. And then there's some others as well. They get about 10 inches of rain a year. Pretty sure they got at least two of those while we were there. Yep, and snow. <laughs> well, not while we were there, but snowed before we got there. Yep. But these ecosystems work together to create some of the most diverse wildlife and plant life in the country. Yep. There are 1,200 species of plants, including 60 different cacti species. And we were there at the perfect time. Yep. Yeah, so you should go there about early April because everything blooms. Oh, like the cactuses, like prickly pear cactus and acatillos, giant dagger yuccas. Those were really cool, and they were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then you had those like short um, cacti. What are the? What were those? Uh, choyas. No, they were like short rainbow bushy cactus- things. Cactuses? No, those were cool too, though. The yeah, rainbow there's cactus. rainbow cactuses. There is um, the brown tipped cactuses. But there's also this kind of like bush, low bush, and then there's pink flowers. That Barrel cactus? No, yeah, maybe. I don't remember what it was called. So with the L maybe? Yeah, I'm not sure. But either way, those were really pretty. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff was blooming like flowers. And it rained there and everything was green. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. nice. Beautiful. Yeah, and yeah, it was really pretty. And there's a lot of flowers. Yeah, we, I think we got there at the perfect time. Obviously, whenever you go there in the spring, it's kind of a chance that you're going to get blooms. But when we're there, like, everything was blooming. About a week before we got there, there was a snowfall, and it all melted. So they were saying that that probably helped a little bit with the early bloom. It was also just really nice to see everything so green. Yeah. Even in, you know, even the deserty part of the the park was still green. Everything yeah. was pretty green. Yeah, it like was the, nice to see. The, like the little creosote bushes, which are usually, I think they're fairly hardy and they stay green for most of the year. But when we were there, they had these little yellow flowers all over them that looked great. There was also a lot of ground flowers we saw. We saw like the blue bonnets yeah. and some other flowers as well, yellow ones. And the white one, there was little white flowers on yep. the ground. Oh, and the purple ones, like the little bushy purple ones. Yep. And it was like this tiny little bush, all purple. But there's tons of plants there, tons mm-hmm. of different species of plants. Uh, there are all kinds of wildlife that you could possibly see there. 
but they definitely live there. Just some stats on that. There's 56 species of reptiles, including the Big Bend slider, greater earless lizards, which we did see, right? We saw one at least. Four different types of rattlesnakes. There's also 40 species of fish, 11 species of amphibians, 75 mammals, including black bears, mountain lions, coyotes, and javelinas. And wild horses. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We didn't include that on in our list, but we definitely saw some, well, maybe feral yeah. horses. And cows. <laughs> we yeah. saw some cows, Oh, yeah, we too. did see some cows, too, in the lower end. There's also the endangered Mexican black bear, which um, was almost extinct, and they have, they're bringing it back, which is really nice. You know the easiest way to tell the Mexican black bear from a regular black bear? The sombrero. <laughs> it's also a wonderful spot to go bird watching. There's over 400 species, and we actually saw quite a few different species when we were there. Yeah, like, yeah Big Bend is a top bird watching destination. And then there's the insects. There's a ton ton of those as well. There's 3,600 species of insects in Big Bend. I'm never going to go there again. Well, we I probably... think some of them are poisonous because it said that there's poisonous reptiles and insects. Huh? I don't know what that would be, but... I don't know. Maybe like spiders? Maybe. Well, snakes are reptile. Is there scorpions? Yeah. So that would be But that's not an insect. That's an arachnid. Oh, she got me. (laughs) So this park was covered by a shallow sea, an ancient shallow sea. And then as time went on, the mountains went up and the shallow sea went away. We talked about this a little bit in the last podcast as well. Same concept as Guadalupe Mountains and all that. Yep. And in this area... There's a lot of limestone and marine fossils that used to be on the floor of the sea are now present throughout the park. And it's very diverse. Some of the rocks range from 500 million years old, which would be the limestone, to 28 million years old, which would be more of the volcanic rock. And that, so that just kind of shows you that the volcanic rock came afterwards. Yep. I think that's what formed the mountains. Yeah, you can. There's a lot of evidence throughout the whole park, and even outside of the park where we came through an alpine. Like, there's a lot of. You can tell there's a lot of volcanic activity. Later on, when we give the walk through the park, we're going to talk about Tuff Canyon, which is a short trail that actually leads to a narrow canyon formed by volcanic ash and erosion. It's kind of cool. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but you can see the volcanic evidence. Yeah. So you'll see the different sedimentary rocks, which is your limestone, your sandstone, shale. You can see igneous rocks. Those are formed from molten rock. And that was formed from either the volcanic activity or when um, the shifting happened. Yep. Yep, and Big Bend features both. There's metamorphic rocks. That's rock formed through heat or pressure. The volcanic activity in the park occurred around 28 to 50 million years ago. It formed the Chizos Mountains and the Pine Canyon Caldera. There's also extensive fossil records here in Big Bend. And we'll talk about a little bit of that later when we talk about a fun thing you can do there. There are ancient mammals, marine life, and... Dinosaurs. Yep. The geology is very interesting in Big Bend because it is the reason why we have... 
the ecosystems that are there now. Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely coincide. Uh-huh. So what is the thing that stands out the most to you about the park, only talking geology? The mountains and the giant wall mountain. Yeah, that forms the border, mm-hmm. which is called? The Santa Elena Canyon. Mm-hmm. And how is that formed, Lexi? It was formed by the water. Yeah, the Rio Grande River. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive to see what water can do. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that wall, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was not expecting that. Like, I yeah. don't think I've ever seen that in a photo or anything. It was, like, yeah. completely flat looking on top. Yeah. <laughs> Mom. Straight up. When we were getting our stamps by ourselves without you, when, oh, wait, it was the hike. And um, the wall... It looked like the normal wall, but the clouds looked like snow oh, yeah. coming off of it. Yeah, like a blanket. There's a table, and there's, like, uh, fake snow coming That's off. That's what it looked like. Yeah, we were driving down the road straight at it, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I don't think I've ever seen any photos with that. Did you? No, no. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the coolest parts of the entire park was that yeah. wall. It was so cool. The yeah. way that it was formed. I, I feel like all the canyon pictures I've ever seen were at the other end of the park, which is a different section. But this one was unexpected. Like, you can uh-huh. see it from far off. And we took the um, the old Maverick Road, which is dirt, and we drove down to that... Um, overlook. That overlook area. And it was just super, super cool. Yeah, it was cool. And then the split, like where the river comes through, through yep. the canyon part, is just so cool. It's just such a cool thing because there's this huge wall and there's this split right in the middle of it. It's like a giant crack. Yeah, that's formed by a river. The power of water. All right, let's dive into some tips and information that you need if you're planning a trip to this park. So the visitation of this park has actually increased by 50% since 2016. The annual visitation is now nearing 600,000 visitors a year. So it is highly recommended. Oh, and let me just also say, it is really far away from everything. Mm -hmm. So you will need to spend at least a night there, at least one. And there's barely anywhere to stay. So (laughs) you need to plan ahead for where you're going to be staying when you come to this park. Yeah, especially if you're going to stay kind of long term. So when's the best time to visit? Big Ben's busy season is November to April. And while it is the busy season, it's probably the time you're going to want to visit. Yes. Because the other time is insane heat. Since Big Ben is a desert park, there are extreme weather conditions. The spring is from February to April, and that is probably the most comfortable time to visit. But you probably will get rain as well. We even got some 90-degree days while we were there. Mm-hmm. The summer is May through September, and it is hot. Very, very hot. Temperatures can exceed 100 degrees in the lower elevations by late morning. (laughs) (laughs) And often exceed 110 along the Rio Grande. Yeah, when you get down to the lowest elevation in the park, it was around 1,800 feet. Now, when you get up in the mountains, it's there's some relief there. Because I think you go up, you know, in the five, 6,000 feet range. There are thunderstorms in the summertime, so that could help a little bit, but I wouldn't count on them. 
<laughs> and the winter is October through January, and the temperatures are cooler, and it could possibly be pretty cold. At, you know, like maybe not camping weather. Yeah, especially at night. It's $30 to enter the park unless you have that pass, the annual pass, and that's good for seven days. Yeah, and when we went, they were actually putting a tag, which was a little seven-day tag. They taped it to our window. So I don't know if that's standard practice throughout the whole season or throughout the whole year, um, but there's no reservation system or anything here as far as entry yet. I think what that's for and I could be wrong, but I think it's just an easy way for the rangers to see you because yeah. not all of the entrances are easy. Like the one entrance you could drive right by, yeah. you're supposed to just put money in, I think, the northern entrance. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't remember passing a gate at the, at the northern one, but it, I think it is just to help tra- the flow of traffic mm-hmm. if it's going to be busy. Some other tips about the park. You should make sure you have a park map, like ri- like a paper park map. To help you with mm-hmm. navigating. Uh, also having a compass or like something that doesn't require signal. Because there's barely any signal in the entire park. Or download Gaia. Yeah. Download the park map, National Park map for Big Bend. And then you'll be all right. But yeah, <laughs> there's like, there's virtually no signal unless you're right at the main visitor center areas. Especially if you're going to be on a trail like a, you know, hiking trail, Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you know the route that you're taking. Yeah, because a lot of those trails can get really remote. The most extreme thing there will be the sun. Yeah, you want to make sure you have sunblock and protection from the sun during the day. Especially when you're driving on some of the dirt roads, Mm -hmm. there's no, or even hiking on, you know, the hiking trails, there's no, like, cover. So you're right out in the sun. Just make sure you're prepared to be in intense sun while you're there you should also give yourself enough time to reach your destination before dark it gets very dark in the park we actually talk about why that's a good thing later on but when you're trying to get to your camping spot it is not good especially if you're like backcountry camping or something like that yeah it's pitch black and so if you're trying to find a remote camping spot out in the middle of big ben in the middle of the night it's going to be uh pretty hard to do there are also no reliable water sources in big bend Like we said earlier, there are springs throughout the park, but I wouldn't count on those. So, um, Yeah, the only place to get safe drinking water would be at the visitor centers or if you bring it yourself. They recommend that you carry one gallon per person per day. So, And keep in mind that water weighs eight pounds per gallon. Yeah. They do have, which is really cool, um, where they have like the food storage, they have water storage as well, which I'm not exactly sure how that works. But if you're a hiker, you know. Yeah. <laughs> because it says it's like where the hiking trails, maybe you store your water in there so that you don't have to take as much on your hiking trails. I'm not sure. But either way, um, they also have that as well. They do have water faucets at all the visitor centers. Uh, when we were there, we used a, um, like a bo- the bottle refill at the water fountain, which is pretty handy if you carry a lot of water bottles. You should also be alert of snakes and insects. Yeah, like we mentioned, there's four different species of rattlesnakes that live in Big Bend. There's also mountain lions and black bears, so you should store your food. I think it's required, actually, and they only allow certain bear-proof canisters. You can find it on their website. Um, There's there's, bear boxes. There are. Some of them have bear boxes, some of the primitive camping spots. Yes, so make sure you store your food properly. And also, don't forget the bear spray. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I saw bear spray at all. No. 
I think um, here, when it comes to black bears, obviously they're not nearly as aggressive as grizzlies. Because when you go to the other parks and they recommend bear spray, it's for the grizzlies mainly. I see. Obviously, you don't want to, like, mess around with the black bears. But I don't think that's as big of an issue. And that's probably why. Because yeah. I don't think I saw a bear spray on anything. No. So, yeah. Interesting. Tony, how about you and Lexi tell everyone the next tip? It's important to avoid swimming or wading in the Rio Grande. Because... There's sudden drop-offs and unpredictable currents, and that is... And hang on to your children. Can be a hazard. And parents watch your step. Yeah, there's definitely strong currents and definitely sudden drop-offs. Yeah, we found <laughs> out the hard way. They did. I just <clears throat> swim next to them. Just like every national park, except for the few winners in this United States, pets are not allowed on the trails, or anywhere that your car is not allowed. So if your car is allowed there, your pet can be there. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's not a very pet-friendly park. Pets also cannot enter Mexico at the Boquillas Port of Entry. Yeah, so there's actually a port of entry into Mexico at this park. We'll talk about it a little later. uh, And you cannot take your pets through at that point. All right, let's get into lodging and camping. And this is the hard part in this area. Yep. Before we got there, we actually looked for boondocking because we would have much rather boondocked in the area. And we were not able to find any. And it's a well-known fact that Texas has very little boondocking or free camping. And that is true about this park as well. Uh, There are a ton of campgrounds outside of the park, and we'll talk about where we stayed. Inside of the park, there are a few other options. However, November through April, almost all everywhere will be booked so you need to plan ahead all right if you're looking for lodging there's a chizos mountains lodge in the chizos basin near the visitor center that's there if you're looking for campgrounds there's four different campgrounds three of them are controlled by the national park service and one is one of those concession campgrounds that is ran by um, an outside party third party there's a there's a campground in the chizos basin called chizos basin campground that one is in the center of the Chizos Mountains. Now, this one has a length restriction. I think it was 24 feet because it's a, you basically go from outside the mountain, you go up and over a mountain, and then down inside the basin. And it's a really narrow, winding road. Uh, we did go into that campground a couple times and to do a couple things. Uh, it's really cool, really pretty, but you're limited in size there. Another one is the Rio Grande Village Campground. That one's located near the Rio Grande on the east side of the park. This one is not a full hookup. It's, um, I think it's a primitive campground where there's another one in that section called the Rio Grande Village RV Park. That, that one is a full hookup park, the only one, and that one has 25 sites with full hookups. That's the one that's controlled by Aeromark, and I'm assuming it's probably pretty expensive. Did I don't you think look it, at it? I don't think it was. I oh, think it was looked? actually pretty reasonable for a full hookup campground inside of a national park. I can't tell you the dollar amount, but I think it was less than 50 bucks a night. And then there's Cottonwood Campground. That one's located uh, near the Rio Grande on the west side of the park. You can also get a backcountry permit and camp in the backcountry. And you can all, you can do that, obviously, backpacking. If you're overlander, if you have, like, a rooftop tent, that's a good option. There's also some primitive roadside camp spots that will accommodate a big rig. If, you're, if you have a Class A or a large fifth wheel. We did find we did kind of investigate a couple of those spots, uh, and they were plenty big for us, but they were booked up. They are reservable. 
So I think the the guy said that north of Panther Junction Road is all reservable. All reservable. South of that is not reservable, right? But online, it kind of made it sound like you can reserve. So if you're looking to stay there, I would definitely do your own research because you may get different. Like maybe you can reserve it online. Yeah, because a lot of the research we did before we we went to Big Bend, it said that you have to go to the Panther Junction Visitor Center to get a backcountry permit, and it was first come, first serve. So that's not the case, because when we went in there to talk to him about it, he then gave me the information. Basically, anything north of that road is reservable. I think he said there was over 30 sites that were reservable, and then everything south, which is probably another 30 sites, are not reservable. They're first come, first serve, but you have to buy like a backcountry permit for that. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second. But everything south is pretty much not big rig fam- right. friendly. So uh, if you're going there with a big rig, you're going to want to try to reserve ahead of time, yep. and you're going to want to find a spot north. For example, probably the best one that we found was Grapevine Hills 1. If you look on their on uh, recreation.gov and you're reserving it, it's GH1, and it's a huge site. Big enough for the biggest big rig. And that would be good. The only bad thing throughout the entire park, and this is strictly backcountry, no generators are allowed. So even though you're in like the most remote wilderness area, nobody around you, there's no other campsites near you, you're not allowed to use your generator. So go there equipped with good batteries and solar, I guess. And the permit is $10 per night, overnight use, right? And you can stay up to 14 days? Yep. It's only $5 if you have the access pass. Is that the one we have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are no overflow campsites, no boondocking in Big Bend or the surrounding area, correct? Yeah, we I thought... I mean, you have to go pretty far yeah, away exactly. from the park. Yep, there's nothing like some of these national parks have some BLM or something like that uh, bordering it, and there's nothing like that. We actually stayed in a campground right outside the park. It was the perfect spot. It was a nice little campground of Study Butte RV Park. Yep. And how much was it again? I forgot. So it was, there's two different rates because we stayed at two different sections. When we first got there, we stayed in more of a, um, a partial hookup site, water and electric. And I think it was 35 per night. And the reason why we ended up switching is because our original stay was going to be, what, four nights? And then we were going to leave but after the first day in the park we were like holy smokes this place is amazing and we need more time (laughs) we need like an extra week so we called the the place and they had an opening so uh, after a few nights we actually moved up into a full hookup spot which i believe was 45 per night yes the very first time we went ten dollars over my limit (laughs) (laughs) but it was worth it yeah, there's actually multiple campsite, campgrounds outside of the park on both sides, so you can kind of take a look and see where you want to be. All right, let's jump into border crossing. So Big Bend National Park shares the border with Mexico for 118 miles. There is one port of entry that's included in the park or like inside the park. Yeah, that's on the eastern end, and that's Boquillas Crossing. They also have recommendations since this is a, you know, sharing the border. You don't pick up hitchhikers. You don't, uh, if you see anybody that might ask for food, water, or assistance, they recommend that you don't make contact with them, but uh, note their location, immediately notify the rangers. Yeah, you definitely don't want to leave them hanging because lack of water is life-threatening, but they don't want you talking, you know, communicating with anybody. Um, Drug smuggling and illegal border crossing does happen in this area. 
Um, so they just want you to be safe and report anything that you see. Also, like when you're down near the river, not to cross the river because the other side of the river is Mexico and they can arrest you. Yeah. Yeah. It, at some points, the river is only 10 feet wide. And if you go to shore on the other side, you're actually in Mexico illegally. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned this a little bit earlier, but there is barely any signal in the entire park. So cell service is very spotty. They do have free public Wi-Fi at the visitor centers, at the lodge, and the village store, Rio Grande Village Store. Mm-hmm. And that's even slow. There is a gas station inside of the park, which actually has really good rates, better than where we were staying. Gas, laundry, groceries, all of those things are going to be very hard to find yeah. <laughs> in this area. So we stayed in study view, and the laundry was Yeah, there was a laundromat that's out of order. Yes. Yeah. So we didn't, we weren't able to do any laundry while we were there. And the groceries was very expensive. Yep. Yeah, if you're going to stay there for an extended period of time, for example, if you're going to stay there for seven days, maybe shop and plan for two weeks worth of supplies. We had plenty of groceries and stuff, but we didn't plan on staying there the whatever we stayed, eight or nine days. So we ran out of things like milk. Milk. And we had to buy milk at the Cottonwood grocery store right, at, right in uh, Study Butte. And it was like $6 a gallon or something. So they do have a lot of stuff. It's like a mini Walmart because they do have a lot. They have something of everything, but it's all very expensive. All right. Let's jump into the key attractions and activities and fun things to do in the park. And the very first one is something really cool. The Fossil Discovery Exhibit. Tell me about it. The Fossil Place was really, really cool. There's a lot. Of skeletons. Yeah, they have a lot of cool displays. They had them, like, where you could touch them and, you know, stick your head in there. Yeah, and get some pictures with them. There's a lot of signs. It is a lot of reading. So you basically, you follow this path. It's it's actually enclosed, so you're you're out of the sun, which was nice because it was kind of hot when we were there. But it's not inside of a building. It's kind of like a... It's like a shelter. Yeah. Open air shelter. Yeah, exactly. But as you walk through, you can see different, kind of like a timeline, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll tell you different animals that were there, different creatures. And and what was happening to the area with water and stuff. And there is a lot of signs and stuff. So what I did is I took photos of the signs and then looked back at them. Yep. And then you get into this, like, opening area where they have a huge, what is that dinosaur? The one on the ceiling. Quetzalcoatlus. Yeah, they have a huge one of those on the ceiling, which was really cool. You could see how big they were. And it's then they really had, big. Then they had some other dinosaurs. What were the other ones they had in there? There's Dinosuchus, T-Rex. Was the Dinosuchus? Like an alligator, giant alligator. But was he in that? Yeah, they had, he a, was. They had a skull. And then, there, and then there's outside, there's like a little picnic area, and there's some signs over there as well. So they had the T-Rex skull, and then was there, um, what's the Alamosaurus? Alamosaurus is a, kind of like a Brachiosaurus. Oh. Yeah, it's like a large, long neck dinosaur. Sauropod. Yep. Cool. So that, yeah, that area is really cool. I thought, I was very surprised how neat they had it done, and I liked that it was enclosed, and I liked that you could touch them and kind of, you know, get a feel for it. Yep. And the outside area was really cool, too. It showed, um... 
you know, just there was like some fun, engaging signs, and there was a picnic area, so your kids could run around and like yeah, there's read actu- the signs. There's actually a large picnic area that's covered mm-hmm. in like a pavilion, and there's a there was a handful of uh, picnic tables and stuff, and there's a little display out there with like a, I think it's a full size dinosuchus. Was it life size? Yeah. And. And also, there's an additional trail that kind of goes up the hill to a dead end, and there's some signs up there, and it shows you the original area where they started finding fossils and started digging. And there was some cool information. Uh, one little bit of information that I read was the paleontologist who was doing it, he wanted to keep them intact out there on display, where right where he found them. And it was like that for several years but at some point, I think in the mid-70s or something, somebody tried to steal them. So there was a major fossil heist happening. So they they knocked actually had to... Huh? They knocked that small shed building kind of thing. Yeah, down. they removed the, the display where it was, and then they built a new structure. And then they took the original fossils away and made reproductions of them but that area is really fun and it's yeah. neat to see the dinosaurs that were here and the fossils and yeah. stuff and I there, thought that part was really there's cool. a lot I of thought, pictures there yeah i well. thought the fossil display was really neat my favorite part was the timeline and seeing how the area changed over time they had very good pictures really big pictures of yeah. you know like what exactly was happening of over the whole united states not just um well at least the western half of the united states yep uh so that was really cool Another fun thing to do in the park, there is over 150 miles of hikes, including day hikes and backpacking trips. We'll talk about some of those later on. And a part of that 150 miles of hiking trails is a hike that, in the Junior Ranger book, they want us to do a hike that's 10 miles long. And I think it's through the mountains. The area is one of the best places to see the sky in the country. Yeah, there were some pretty amazing dark skies when we yeah. were there. We had a, a handful of like overcast skies, so we didn't get the best stars sometimes. And we had a full moon, I think, which isn't helpful. But we still had some really amazing starry nights. Yeah, there's very, very limited light pollution, so mm-hmm. it's like the best place. Um, and they have a lot of ranger-led activities that you can do yep. um, where you show up at night and they teach you things. The next thing to do is the river. Yeah, the Rio Grande. The Rio Grande is over 1,900 miles long from the headwaters in Colorado all the way to the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico. And 118 of those are in the park. Yep. Yep. You can do river rafting, canoeing. There's outfitters that you can um, you know, rent those boats yep. through. Yeah, we were at, when we went to the um, Santa Elena Canyon Overlook, We did see a bunch of paddlers down there in their kayaks and stuff. Yeah, and I think it would be safer probably to get an outfitter to take you because then you know like where you – because you cannot go out on the other side of the river at all. So if you are paddling, just make sure that you don't get out on the other side. Yep. Yep. Another popular spot along the Rio Grande is the Hot Springs Historic District. So what the the Historic District is, it's a spot along the Rio Grande where – there's a natural hot spring that comes out right at the along the edge of the river that a long time ago, uh, early 20th century, they built a resort, like healing water, spa. But the building's gone now. There's still some historical buildings around the area, but the actual hot spring building's gone, but the foundation is still there. Yeah, and there's like 
they almost are like little square bathtubs that are shallow and they're built into the actual big bigger square. Yep. And so are they metal or no? It's stone. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like brick. And there's algae on it. <laughs> yep. Um, when we were there, a little piece was broken off, so like the actual hot water ran off into the into the river. And yeah, there's like a like and a, the edge that faces the river is sh- shorter, so the water just flows out. So basically, that hot spring pool is just constantly circulating hot water out. And there's a short hike from the parking area to the um, to the hot spring. And then there's also a, what is it, like a mile? Yep, a loop, loop trail. Loop trail right there as well. So the girls and I, we decided we were going to do, I think it was the day before we left, so we wanted to get it in. We wanted to do the hot spring hike and soak in the hot springs. So the hike was, it was a fairly easy hike, a little bit of elevation, nothing major, and it was only like a mile. But it ended up being really pretty. Um, you there's wild go on, horses. We saw wild horses along the river. Uh, we actually saw them from above on the trail, and there were some, like, other paddlers, rafters or something that had stopped, and they were looking at the horses as well. Yeah, so we were kind of far away, and I was in there, and there was, like, little shapes down there, and we were like, are those cows or are they yeah. horses? Are they horses with saddles on or are they wild? So then we got down further, and they are wild horses. Yeah, I think we ended up seeing maybe eight or nine different horses and some young and that, ones. Yeah, there's a couple babies. That was pretty cool. We uh, finished up the hike. We made it up to the hot spring at the basically the end of the loop or close to it. And uh, it was very busy. There was a lot of people there. It's a very popular spot. So we actually had our backpacks and a bunch of camera gear and stuff like that. We actually decided to continue on, finish the loop, drop all of our stuff off at the Jeep, and then walk it back. Because I think it's actually... From the parking lot to the hot spring, I think it's only a quarter of a mile. Yeah, I think that's right. So it, that wasn't that big of a deal. So we did that, came back to the hot spring. We ended up soaking in the hot spring for probably a good half hour. And then we decided to get in the river and drown. Hop in the river and <laughs> almost get swept away to Mexico. Yeah, so we were out in the river. Dad, I, uh, Both of Lexi and me were both hanging on to Dad's arm. And there's like ledges. That go down, and then it's like a drop-off. Yeah, like natural ledges. Mm-hmm. So Dad accidentally slipped under, and he went under the water. I just let go, and I was just swing, swimming there while this happened. It was like a split three seconds, five or three seconds. Yeah, so I, I went underwater, <laughs> immediately lost my sunglasses. If you've listened to our some of our Florida podcasts, you know that I can't keep sunglasses to save my life. <laughs> so my sunglasses were gone. I had a... My other, Lexi was in my other hand, and I was trying to keep her afloat. You probably let her go to try to grab your sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And she wasn't ready for it, so she I was, was going. I was swimming. Yeah, Kylie was swimming, but Lexi started going underwater, and she explains it in a much different story where uh, she felt like she was drowning. I freaked out, yelled at everyone, but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she bobbed underwater. I got my bearings. I got back up. I got my footing again. Picked her up. We went and sat on the shore while she cleared out. <laughs> and then we, after that, after everything calmed down a bit, we uh, got back in the hot spring and soaked for another 20 minutes or something. Talked to people. Yeah, that was really cool, though. I'm glad you guys did that. And that is something to do if you're in the area. Other things you can do, there's guided ranger programs. They have tons of these different programs that are happening throughout the park. It's best to go into a visitor center and get that information. Yeah, a lot of times they'll have it ro- uh, written on a on a board outside or inside the visitor center, 
because that's those schedules change. The next thing you have to make sure you do if you have kids especially is the junior ranger program and at this national park they actually you get a junior badge and you get three patches when you get the three patches they have you do the walks so hikes hikes yeah one is the panther junction and you do that at the panther junction visitor center yeah you go you through a, and yeah. identify different plants right and each hike has its own couple two pages that are one or two pages that you fit, have to fill in mm-hmm. for each hike so we did the Panther Junction, and we did the Hot Springs hike. And then there's one hike on there. It's 10 miles long. <laughs> 10 miles. I think, yeah, for a for a kid, for a junior ranger program, I don't know. Maybe some kids are different, but I think 10 miles. that's is a, a long, long hike. And it goes up into the mountains. Through mountains, yeah. yeah. Like three miles is enough s- for me. I want to say the, um, maybe I could be wrong, but I want to say it's like an 800 or 1,000 foot elevation on that long hike. So that, like oh. I said, that's a pretty intense hike. But the girls ended up getting two out of the three uh, patches for their hikes. The Hot Springs hike and the Panther Junction hike. And they got the badge, of course. Yep. Another thing to do in the park is to explore some of the paved roads. One is the Chizos Basin Road. It's about six miles long. Yeah, that one's really pretty. It goes from Panther Junction Road into the Chizos Basin. So it's a really windy road. You go kind of up and over a mountain and then kind of drop down into the Chizos Basin. And you're surrounded by the mountains. And it's gorgeous. In the Chizos Basin, there's a visitor center. There's a campground, a lodge, restaurant, store. And that's a, a access point for miles and miles of trailhead trails. There's also the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive. This one's 30 miles, and it goes through the middle. Well, it kind of wraps around it. Yeah, there's the no canyon. straight road here. They yeah. all, they're all very windy. It starts at the Santa Elena Canyon area and kind of goes up to Panther Junction Road. Yep. It is very scenic throughout the that drive because you you go you go past a lot of different features of the park like landmark features it's named after ross maxwell a geologist and the park's first superintendent a few other areas is the panther junction to rio grande village that's about 21 miles and then you have the persimmon gap to panther junction that is from visitor center to visitor center yep and that's about 28 miles and then there's the maverick entrance station to panther junction and this is that first part of panther junction road which we were talking about yeah the west entrance and that's 23 miles. There's a lot of dirt roads in the park. That we highly recommend you go on all of them. Yeah. There's Dagger Flat Auto Trail. I was just going to say. And we didn't actually get to do this, unfortunately, but it is on our list for the next time we go back because it takes about two hours and we just were running out of time. Yeah. And the and it's it's in it's kind of far away from everything. And the, the day that we were doing that end, we didn't have the time to do it. It's a 14-mile round trip. And the ranger that I was talking to about it said it takes a at least two hours to do it because it's a very slow going dirt road. It runs east from the Persimmon Gap Road to a small valley with a forest of the giant dagger yuccas. So if you've never seen these, they're huge. And if they're blooming, the blooms are huge, huge white flowers. And it's really pretty. Another dirt road is Grapevine Hills Road. It's about 6.4 miles. And there's multiple things that come off this road, um, like hiking trails, camping, and you do need high clearance for this road. And yeah, the one of the main reasons to go down Grapevine is there's a really popular trailhead there. That's for the Balanced Rock Trail, 
And if you've seen pictures of people standing underneath a big boulder that's kind of smushed in between two others, that's the balanced rock hike. And that hike is about 2.2 miles round yep. trip. Another dirt road is Hot Springs Road. This is about two miles. This this goes to the Hot Springs. Yeah, it? yeah, it goes. Uh, it's actually a really narrow dirt road that splits into a one way, like a divided road, and it kind of goes through a valley or a wash. And then again, that's a half mile round trip to the hot tubs, and then the one mile loop that the trailheads are right there. And that one, just a side note on that one, it is size limited as well. So you you can get to a certain point with any size vehicle. And there is a parking lot for large vehicles. And then you have to walk the rest of the way, probably a quarter or half a mile. Another dirt road, which we did and loved, is Old Maverick Road. It's probably my, one of my favorite dirt roads. Now, we are going to talk about primitive dirt roads here in a second. So just normally, normal dirt roads. Yep. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. It's 14 miles. It's from Maverick Junction uh, where you come in. Which is the west entrance. Yep. South almost straight south to uh, the canyon. The Santa overlook. Elena, yep. Yeah, and that's a really cool drive. If you drive from north to south going towards the river, that's all you see for probably half of it. Now, it, it I don't know if it's a, it does say that it's like a high clearance four-wheel drive road when you first get there. All right, let's talk about the fun dirt roads. Yeah. Then what are they, not maintained? Is that what they yeah. consider these primitive yeah. roads? They recommend high clearance four-wheel drive. If you look at these roads on the website, they are serious. It said like six times. <laughs> you have to be high clearance and all, you know. Yeah. It was funny reading that. Probably because they don't they don't have any recovery services available. So if you get your vehicle stuck out there, it's probably going to cost you a couple thousand dollars to get it back. So just going through the list, there's Old Ore Road, which is about 26 miles. This road actually goes south off of the Dagger Flats Road, and I think it goes all the way down to uh, the Hot Springs area. I it, think that I think it, it connects down there. Old Ore Road connects to Park Route 12, which goes to Rio Grande Village. Okay, perfect. And then it's 26 miles long. It was used in the early 1900s to transport ore from Mexican mines to the railroad station. And it takes about three to four hours to drive. We actually did not do this one. We heard it's pretty rough, and we just ran out of time, sadly. But it is on our list. The next one is Glen Springs Road. We actually jumped on this road. This goes right off of Panther Junction, right? Yep. And then we took this to Black Gap. Yep, exactly. It's a pretty rough dirt road, and it's very pretty through there. Uh, Lots of flowers. It gets out into the middle of nowhere. You need to go on this road if you want to get to the Pine Canyon Road or the Juniper Canyon Road. It also connects with the Black Gap Road, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The longest dirt road in the park is River Road. And that one essentially goes from Rio Grande Village over to the Santa Elena Canyon area. Yeah, it's 51 miles long, and we actually got to drive on most of this road. Yep. There was only a small section we didn't do, but we did do it over multiple days, not in one day. All right. The next one, we're actually going to do a Jeep segment on, so we're going to play that really quick, and then we will do that trail. Jeep trail. Well, if you don't have a Jeep, I guess it's just an off-road trail. We love off-roading as a family and want to share some of our favorites from coast to coast. You will get the details on the difficulty, camping, obstacles, and those great views. One of the other dirt roads in the park, maybe the most famous one. The most well-known Jeep trail in Texas. 
is a Jeep badge of honor trail named Black Gap Road. It's 8.5 miles, and I was actually kind of nervous to do this, and it wasn't bad at all. It was a lot of fun. We actually yeah. talked to another Jeep person before we did it when we were filling up before we hit the trail. And um, he had a more outfitted Jeep than us, a Gladiator. And uh, he seemed like a little nervous. Yeah, and that made me nervous because he said to you, he's like, well, what did he, he say exactly? He said, he said uh, how are you feeling about this trail? And yeah. I, at first, I'm, you know, at, before he asked me that, I was just fine because I'd, you know, done some research on it. I'd watched some videos on it. Didn't seem like anything, but maybe he knew something I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I mean... Unless they had gotten some serious weather and, you know, there were some washouts, I really wasn't concerned. So he made me think about it for a little bit, but. It was cool. So just a few things before we jump into the walkthrough on it. It's named after one obstacle, and it's kind of a ledge yep. obstacle. And it was funny because through the entire thing, we were almost done with the trail. And I was like, did we do it and not even know it? Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. But no, we didn't. Uh, it is very, very remote. It is not maintained, and it is 4 by 4 only. Uh, there are some spots in the on the trail that I would say are tight-fitting, yeah. like you would have to be somewhat small. But there were a couple trucks well, that seemed to not, have, they had not to have done full it. full size. Yeah. Like, I would say avoid it if you have a full-size truck or full-size SUV or something like that. But if you're a Tacoma or something, I'm sure you could do it. I mean, if you could get up over the ledge, yeah. I'm sure you could do it just fine, but... Uh, but the rest of the trail is awesome. So yeah, one quick tip. During business hours, you can stop at the Panther Junction Visitor Center and actually uh, get a trail report from the rangers. Even though they don't maintain it, really they don't mean, you know, they, they might have to make a repair here and there, but um, it's not graded or anything like that. And they'll give you at least some information, you know, if there's yep. rain or something. Yep. All right, let's go through it. All right. So the way we ran it, we ran it from... North to south, so basically from Glen Springs Road to River Road. It's two-way traffic. Yep, at some it's a it can be a very narrow trail, like a two-track, uh, with steep sides. And if there's traffic, you may have to wait for them, or give them right away, or vice versa. We actually had to wait for a slow-moving vehicle at one section. But if you're going north to south, you'll start out at the Glen Springs Road. That's and you'll find a little intersection. That's the Black Gap road trailhead as soon as you get onto black gap road there's a little bit of a zigzag a steep hill a couple sharp turns then you drive into a lush green forest yeah in the middle of nowhere yeah like swampy yeah there's deep puddles there was a giant green tree there yeah it was like a giant green tree in the middle of nowhere like yep. it was the only tree we small actually, even if it was a small tree is the only tree for Probably about four miles. Well, I think we could see it for about a mile before we even from Glen Springs Road, because you kind of come from a on top of a hill and start making your way down. We could see that tree from way far off, just a random tree in the middle of and nowhere. It was big. It was. It was healthy. Healthy, and it was green. Yeah, green. and you can you can tell as soon as you get down into that area. That's where the spring is because it's, it seems like it's constantly pumping water. That's why you got to drive through all these puddles and stuff. I think it's the only tree in the park. <laughs> yeah, that big at least. One of them. <laughs> but yeah, you drive through a bunch of puddles and like the trail got really narrow and I actually thought we were going the wrong way. 
Because I was like, wait, what is this in the middle of the desert? <laughs> yeah, it's very tight through there. So um, if you're any wider than like a, you know, a Jeep or something, you may get some pinstriping from branches. But uh, shortly after that, about a mile in, there's a really nice big overlook. And you can kind of look, you're looking south over the whole Big Bend area. And it's really cool. Good views, good photo opportunity. And right after that, you go down a kind of a steep, two-track, kind of a shelf road. This was the scariest part for me, I think. And I would I would agree. I'd say maybe the more the most technical part because as soon as you start descending, you get into kind of a little bit of a washout. And then there was some pretty big steps down uh, from rocks and, you know, erosion and stuff. And then on, right on the, immediately on the other side of that is a very steep climb from over rocks and ledges and stuff, so... Yeah, you just have to be really careful through there. But there's a couple spots that are, I always get more scared on the high parts looking yeah. down. And that's what this was. And there was like, it was washed out. Yeah. So like a little bit more rain and, <laughs> and that road might be need to be fixed. I can remember going through it and the driver's side of the Jeep, my side, was also on like the cliff side, which was very steep. And you're kind of leaning that way. So it's just one of those things you just go slow and you kind of crawl over it. So that was cool. It was interesting to me. I like the technical stuff like that. Once you get about a mile and a half in, there's another rocky creek crossing. It's not It's not nearly as dangerous or anything like that. It just takes a little bit of tire placement to get down in and then get back out of it. Between there, it's fairly simple, just two-track, you know, bumpy, rocky road. Then about three and a half miles in, kind of cross a really loose sand, dry riverbed. Then once you get about four miles in, then you get to the Black Gap Ledge, which as soon as we pulled up to it, it instantly looked familiar from like the pictures and stuff I saw. And that was, it's pretty, pretty easy. Um, it can change because... From north to south, it's going up, right? Yep. Okay, so you go up the ledge. I couldn't remember. Yep, and that's one thing to keep in mind is if you're going north to south, you'll climb the ledge. If you're going the opposite direction so south to the north end, you'll just drop down the ledge, which isn't a big deal. But people can, people to get up it or get down it, they stack rocks at the bottom. So, and pe other people move them so the thing can change a lot. But it is about a three to four foot ledge. We had no issues at all with it. Yeah, nope. MT climbed right up. That is the only spot, though, that we did turn four wheel drive on. Yeah, I wanted to do the whole trail in two wheel drive, and we got about halfway up. The rear tire is about halfway up the black gap, and they spun a little bit, and I'm like, darn it. I didn't really want to push it, so I just backed up, put it in four-wheel drive, and just climbed right up it. It was no problem. So if you're going to do the trail, it, any t I would say any even stock height 4x4 four four could do it, no problem. You might just have maybe a couple spots with some scraping maybe. And then shortly after that, it's just an easy gravel road. There's a lot of camping or at least some camping opportunities along the way. Yeah, we, we passed a handful of sites back you know, uh, backcountry, primitive roadside, whatever you want to call it. And then it ends at River Road. Yep. And so then we took a right. Well, was it a right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we took we, a right we took to a go right west. And then drove on some of that River Road as well, which actually ended up making our trail. River Road was actually more rugged, I think. And There was a few spots that were pretty rough. Yeah. And longer than Black Gap. But. And it was a hot day. We decided to do a, a Jeep Nick that day with hot dogs. And it was super windy, and it was like 90 degrees and sunny. So that was, so it was interesting. 
It was a great trail, though. I highly recommend it. We got our Jeep badge. I would. I wanted to actually do it the opposite way, too, just to do it. But obviously, we didn't have time to go all the way back. Because to do it south to north, you have to go around one way or another. You have to drive all the way to Rio Grande Village and then take River Road over to the where it meets Black Gap. Yeah, I was glad to knock that one off. Uh, that trail, just like the park, was kind of on my bucket list because it's one that's like so far out there. I think Texas only has two, maybe three badge of honor trails and the other ones are way far over on the other side of the state. So that's one that's like, will I ever get there to do it? So I'm glad we did. It was a fun trail. And just so you know, Trails Off Road has this trail on their website. So you can check it out there. Ready to hit the trails? We think you should check out Trails Off Road, your go-to resource for the best off-road adventures. You can sign up now and get a seven-day free trial and explore thousands of trail guides, photos, and videos. The all-access membership will unlock more trails, premium content filters, and exclusive member-only trails. Save time, save money, and embark on your next off-road adventure with confidence. Please use our referral link at thefayolas.com slash trailsoffroad. And start your adventure today. This podcast is getting extremely long. I think we're over an hour and a half at this point. (laughs) But let's do just a quick walkthrough of the park. All right, Big Ben is too big to do as a single day. It's almost too big to do as a single podcast, but we are pushing it to make it work. We may end up splitting this in two. (laughs) Yeah, and we thought that we were going to do Big Ben in a weekend. That's what we had planned, and we ended up having to stay an extra five days. Yeah, so we highly recommend staying as long as you can in the area. Doing our walkthrough, we're going to start out on the west side of the park where we stayed at Study Butte, and the entrance is called Maverick Junction. So when you, as soon as you get into the park at Maverick Junction, you can either go south on Old Maverick Road, which is a dirt primitive road, or you can go northeast on the main park road that heads to Panther Junction. Panther Junction. We went south. It's a dirt road. It's 14 miles. We talked about this a little earlier uh, on Old Maverick Road, and it heads to Santa Elena Canyon Overlook, which is a great overlook. Mm-hmm. You have to go there for sure. When you're at the Overlook, you can actually get on the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive, which is paved. So if you don't want to take the dirt road to the Overlook, you can just take the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive all the way there, and you don't have to go on the dirt road. Yep. But we kind of did a circle. After the Overlook, we then got on Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive and drove Back, north yep. east. Northeast, yeah, basically. <laughs> it, it changes directions many times. And that's about 30 miles, and it heads back to the main park road. Yep. However, on the way, you're going to hit a lot of interesting, cool things. Down near the Santa Elena Canyon Overlook, in that area, I should say, there is a visitor center called the Castellan Visitor Center. It's closed in the summertime, but if you're there any other time, you definitely stop there and get your stamp. And then as you drive up the Ross Maxwell Scenic Drive, it's It is really beautiful because there are so many different things that you see along the way. Um, And it's working its way up in elevation as you drive towards the Panther Junction Road. So at the beginning of the road, you're going to see the Santa Elena Canyon. Uh, This is where the river has carved out 1,500-foot deep limestone canyon, which is amazing to see. You must see it. And there is a hike at this entrance that um, it's it's a pretty hard hike. You have to go up, but it has amazing views. 
As you continue, there's the Tough Canyon. This is a short trail that leads to the rim of Tough Canyon, where you can see a narrow canyon formed by volcanic ash. Right now, if you look on their website, at the time of this podcast, it's closed. Another really cool thing that you can see from actually all different parts points in the park is the Muleers, which is like a geologic formation. But at this point in the road, there's a viewpoint for that. And it really does look like Muleers. It sure does. They're volcanic peaks. It's too little. Sharp. Not little. They're pretty huge. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's too big. Triangles next to each other. And it does look like Muleers. I agree. I think they they got it right when they named that one. As you continue on on the scenic drive, you'll come to the Borough Mesa Poroff Road. We did drive down through there. There is a trail that goes further back. But if, if you drive down through there, you can see this really cool pour-off section, which, you know, it's one thing that you see if, if it rains, there's going to be a waterfall there. So keep that in mind. If, so if, if it doesn't rain, it's not worth going. No, it's still pretty. <laughs> but if it's raining in Big Bend, get over to the Borough Mesa pour-off. Next on that road is the Sotol Vista. Yep, that's a really scenic overlook. And they can look over the Chihuahuan Desert, and you can see the mountain ranges off in the distance. Next is the Homer Wilson Ranch. We didn't go here. We didn't go here, but there is a historic ranch there, and you can explore some of the remnants of that area. After you reach the Panther Junction Road. If you go left, that actually will take you back to Study Butte, and this may be what you want to do because this is going to be a long day if you just did that circle. It sounds short on the podcast, but it does take you a long time to do it. (laughs) Yeah, everything in this park takes a long time. Yeah. So uh, you can go left back to Study Butte, or if you go right, that'll take you um, more into the park. And as you travel east on Panther Junction Road, you'll come to Grapevine Road, which goes north. That's where you'll find some camping and uh, other trailheads. And then right after that is the Chizos Basin Road. That's the road that we mentioned has size limit for RVs and trailers. And that goes to the Chizo Basin Visitor Center. Yep. There's also the Lost Mine Trail and the Lodge and Amazing Views Yeah. in that road. And then if you go back down to Panther Junction from that road and you go right, continuing through the park, you're going to hit that gas station that we mentioned earlier that actually had better price gas than Study Butte, which yep. was really funny. I think it was like 50 cents cheaper. Something like that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was cheap enough to where I waited to get gas. Every time I got gas was in the park and not outside the park. Which is crazy. Which is usually opposite. <laughs> yeah, opposite normally. Next, you're going to hit the Panther Junction Visitor Center, which will be on your right. And right at that visitor center, you can also go north towards the Persimmon Gap Visitor Center. Yep. On that road, you'll find the Fossil Discovery Exhibit, the Dagger Flat Trail that we mentioned, where you can see all the big dagger yuccas. That's one place that Old Ore Road meets up. Not on the main road, but off Off of Dagger Dagger Flat. Yep. So if you want to get to Old Ore Road, you can take Dagger Flats for, I think it's a little ways in, and then you would just turn right off of that. And then at the very northern end of the park, you'll find the Persimmon Gap Visitor Center, which we've visited. It's much smaller than the rest of them, and it's a little bit more simple. They have less uh, They have less exhibits there. If you drive back south to that main park road and continue on that road, you'll hit the Rio Grande Village Visitor Center and the Rio Grande Village area. 
I think there may be a store there. Yep. There's a store. There's a cup. There's a campground, RV park. And that area is also where you'll find the hot springs, which we talked about earlier. Yep. And then that area also will connect to River Road. So you can take River Road along the entire southern part of the park. Yep. And, and you can take River Road all the way along the southern part of the park from Rio Grande Village to the Castellan area. And then there are several off-roads that run from the Panther Junction to the river, like in the middle there. Yep. There are several roads, including Black Gap and Glen Springs, and then there's like a bunch of other ones as well uh, that look really fun. We didn't get to do all of them. We did a couple, you know, a few of those, um, but I would highly recommend, you know, looking at the map and picking a few because yeah. they are fun. Yep. Dirt roads are the most fun part. Just be prepared because you can be out there for a long time. If you're staying, like if you have a tent or something on your Jeep or, you know, an off-road tent, I think that would be the best because I'm pretty sure those spots are the first come, first serve spots. So as long as you have your permit in hand, you can stay at any of those spots. I don't know if you have to pick the spot. All right, that is Big Bend National Park. And it was so much fun. I highly recommend this one. Even though it's way out of the way, it'll take you forever to get to, (laughs) not including the fact that you then have nowhere to stay when you get there. Yeah. It's not convenient, but it is amazing. I was going to say, it's not a convenient park to go, but once you're there, plan on staying. I would say plan on staying a week and, you know, giving at least four or five good days to explore it. Because there's a lot to see. And the the bad thing is it's all spread out. There's a lot of driving. Like we mentioned, from just from the west side to Panther Junction is 23 miles. That's kind of like the center point for everything else. Yeah, and we did that um, that loop, that first loop. You know, so we went down Maverick Road, we went to the canyon, we went back up uh, Roswell, and then went home. And that was a whole day in the park. Yeah. So that just tells like, that's every little loop there takes forever. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely need at least a few days to explore it. And then factoring in traffic and how busy it is. We were actually there just after spring break and everybody that we talked to said it was crazy. It was a madhouse during spring break because it is during one of the best windows for good weather. But when you have the Santa Elena Canyon, the Rio Grande, the tons of scenic roads that you can drive on, uh, the dirt roads, the Jeep badge of honor. Yeah. That was extra enticing for us. Yeah. There's something really for everyone there and it is so much fun. I mean, you have your floating if you want to go you know kayaking or paddling it's something that i wanted to do we just didn't have the time and that is like a raft or kayak ride down the rio grande because i've seen the pictures you know with the super steep canyon walls on both sides that's like you know that's the like epic shot the epic picture right <laughs> this time it we, it we couldn't work it out because we actually had all these other things planned out in the time that we had there so It's in our book. It's something that we're going to do next time. I mean, we were looking at land here. (laughs) Yeah. As soon as we left, we're like, okay, let's look at some property. It's actually really good priced, and it's warm from the winter, so it could be our winter spot. I don't know. We were looking at land. It was very cool. I have to say, Big Bend, being I was so excited to get there, sometimes... Sometimes you go places, and and it's just kind of like, okay, that was great, but this definitely made... An impression. Yeah, it was huge. This is, this, is a, this is one that we'll remember for a long time. 
I think any time that we can really take our Jeep and do some off-roading yeah. in the park makes it extra special for us. I mean, all the parks that we've got to do that, it's like a top. It like yep. pushes it up. Even Great Sands, it's not one of my favorite parks. But the fact that we actually got to do a Jeep trail there that had water crossings made it so much cooler. Yeah, <laughs> so. epic, right? Thank you so much for listening. I know this podcast was very, very long. So thank you if you listened to the whole thing. Please take a few minutes and review our podcast, especially if you like it enough to give us five stars. We could really use those. And if you need any links from this episode, you can find them at thefeelers.com slash 76. Talk to you later. Bye. And there's numerous archaeological. What? <laughs> archaeological. Say that, Say that part. All throughout the park, there's numerous archaeological... Archaeological... <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> no, 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 let no, no, me no. say it! It is what... formed... <laughs> 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 hold on, hold on. Let me say it again. <laughs> is, is that, that a train? train? <laughs> on. Do Grandma and Grandma will have to listen to a train? Only when podcasts are being done. The other time is Insane Hito. <laughs> Caliente. That you also have water. That's not part of the sun. So just take that whole thing out. Just take that whole cool. thing out. So like, da, 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 scratch. Da, okay, scratch that. It's funny. Mom said, when it gets dark in the dark park. Dark in the park. I was itching my finger on my zipper. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I know the three kid, the three kids were fighting, and I was like, you "Guys are so irresponsible," but, but it, it was, was worth it. it. Jinx, Jinx, I win. Jinx, I win. Jinx, I win. Jinx, I win. Say that again without me burping. Nice. I gotta redo it anyways. Called J- Jack Gap. Jet Black. <laughs> <laughs>